So over the past couple months, we've been walking through the book of Numbers, as Pastor Jared just said, and we've seen how Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, and it was because they refused to go in and take the land that God had told them to do. So the 40 years in the wilderness was mainly God's judgment for their disobedience, but I want you to see it was also a test from God. That's what Moses tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3. If you want to flip there, you can. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. This is after all the events in Numbers that we've been going through, and it's right before the people of Israel enter the promised land. And so Moses is, is speaking to them, and he says this in Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. Moses says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the book of Numbers describes this period of 40 years where Israel was tested by God. And if we learned anything from Numbers, did they pass or did they fail? They failed miserably. They constantly complained. They didn't trust God. They didn't obey his commands. But when we get to the pages of the New Testament, we're told of someone else who was also tested in the wilderness. And where Israel failed, he was faithful. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time that we can come together and we can hear from your word. And God, I do pray that that you would allow each of us in this room to hear your word and to be changed by it. Help us to see with clarity the faithfulness of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I know I had you in Deuteronomy, but now you can flip to the passage that we're going to be in tonight, Matthew chapter 4. Hopefully you got a handout. Um, If you didn't, there might be some extras, but the handout will be helpful to follow along. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Kind of an understatement. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if we pause right there, I wonder if you noticed all the references to Israel in just these first couple verses. First it says Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Yeah, you are tracking. So God ordained this to happen, that Jesus would be led into the wilderness and be tempted by the devil. And I found out as I, as I studied that that word tempted can also mean tested. So, 
Just as Israel was tested in the wilderness, now Jesus is facing a test of his own. And we're told that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, as if to say one day for each year that Israel was in the wilderness. So we see again and again, Matthew is intentionally dropping these hints to help us make the connection to Israel's wandering in the desert. Kind of like what we've been talking about in Numbers. So with that said, here's the first thing that I want you to see. Point number one is, unlike Israel, Jesus trusted God's provision. Jesus trusted God's provision. In verse three, the devil comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now I think when we read that, it's pretty obvious what kind of the surface level temptation is. Jesus has been fasting 40 days, he's hungry, so the temptation is to turn the stones into bread and eat, to break his fast. But I want you to see there's also a more subtle temptation that the devil is presenting to Jesus. I wonder if you know what event happened just before this story. The baptism, Jesus' baptism. And during his baptism, if you know the story, after he comes out of the water, it says a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That was the voice of God saying that, that this is my beloved son. But how does the devil present this first temptation? How does he start it off? If you are the son of God. So you see the temptation was for Jesus to question his identity as the son the very identity that God had just affirmed at his baptism. It's as if the devil was saying, if you're the son of God, what are you doing out here in the desert with with no food for over a month? The devil's saying, is that how a father treats his son? Are you really the son of God? And I think that's the same question and the same temptation that Israel faced in the wilderness. Israel was God's chosen people, and in the Bible they were, I think, Exodus, I'm not sure exactly where, but they were actually called the God's firstborn son, but they were God's chosen people, and as they wandered in the the desert, I imagine Satan was whispering in their ear, if you are God's chosen people, why has he left you out out here in the desert with only manna to eat? And in Numbers 11, we saw uh, several weeks ago that Israel's response to this test was this. They said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So in other words... They were presented with a similar test, and they failed. They grumbled, they complained, they questioned God's provision. But notice back in Matthew, in verse 4, how Jesus responded to his test. It says in verse 4, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I hope you you hear that because we just read that in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, that's what Jesus is quoting. So Jesus knew that we need more than just physical food to sustain us. He was saying that we're more than just animals trying to survive. Because we're made in God's image, we need a relationship with him. We need to be sustained by God's word and a relationship with him. But don't miss this. By quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus, I think, is essentially taking up the fight that Israel lost. He sees himself as Israel's representative, as their champion. And whereas Israel grumbled and complained, Jesus was victorious. He trusted God's provision. Secondly, I want you to see, unlike Israel, Jesus trusted God's promises. Picking up in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we saw the first temptation was not successful. So the devil tries something else. He takes Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. So as I read the commentaries about this, he could have taken Jesus physically, but I think more likely, most of the commentaries say more than likely this was a vision, these next two temptations. But either way, whether it was literally or in a vision, it says he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And one, one place that I read, it said that the main temple building in Jerusalem was about 180 feet tall. That's pretty high up. Way too high for me. I, I'm afraid of heights, so I would definitely not be considering jumping off. But once again, the devil begins with, if you are the son of God. But this time, he goes a step further. This time he quotes scripture, the scriptures that Jesus knew. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is actually a quote from Psalm 91, where God promises to protect and support those who trust in him, those who hope in God. So the devil says, see here, this is your own scriptures. God promises to protect you. So jump off the temple and prove that you're the son of God. In other words, if, if Jesus wouldn't prove it himself with the stones turned into loaves of bread, let God prove it. Maybe, that'll, maybe that temptation will work. So Jesus can either force God's hand or he can trust God's promise. In Numbers 13, the people of Israel found themselves in a similar situation when God said to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. 
That was the promise, that God was giving them the land. All they had to do was go in and take it. So the question was, would they trust God's promise or would they disobey and put him to the test? What happened? They disobeyed, yeah. The spies returned, and as Pastor Jared mentioned this morning, 10 of the 12 said this, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And then they go on to describe these people, and they say that we're like grasshoppers among these giants in the land. So they brought back a bad report to the people of Israel because they ultimately didn't trust God's promise. They wanted more than just a promise. They wanted to put God to the test. But how does Jesus respond to this temptation in verse 7? He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because Jesus trusted God's promises, he didn't need to put God to the test. Once again, where Israel failed, Jesus was faithful. So here we come to the third and final temptation. And here's what I want you to see, the third point. Unlike Israel, Jesus trusted God's plan. Jesus trusted God's plan. Starting in verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Notice how with this last temptation, the devil kind of changes his tactics. He doesn't quote scripture. He doesn't say, he doesn't start off like the others, if you're the son of God. He just comes straight out and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory if you'll fall down and worship me. Seems pretty, pretty blunt with this temptation. And on the surface, we might think, is that the best the devil could come up with? I mean, Jesus, he knew that he was promised authority and glory already. So it seems pretty obvious that he wouldn't fall for this one, right? But what is Satan really tempting Jesus with? He's saying to Jesus, you can have all the kingdoms of the world and their glory without suffering, without humiliation, without the cross. So Satan says, just renounce your loyalty to your father and worship me. And I think, again, this was one of the most common temptations for Israel in the Old Testament. To compromise their faith with the one true God, Yahweh, and worship other gods. From the beginning, God's plan was for Israel to be holy, to be set apart from the foreign nations around them, so that they might be a blessing to those nations. But last week, Pastor Jared preached on how the men of Israel, they were tempted by these beautiful women of Moab. And I'm sure, again, Satan was there just like he's here with Jesus. He was there with the people of Israel to whisper in their ears, a little compromise won't hurt. Look at what you can have, all your desires fulfilled. 
And we're told that the men of Israel gave in to their sinful passions, and as a result, they abandoned God. Numbers 25.2 says that the Moabite women invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. But what is Jesus' response to this temptation? Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. So Jesus firmly dismisses the devil, and he reminded him that God alone is worthy of our worship. You see, Jesus knew that he would eventually suffer. He would eventually go to the cross and be crucified. But he trusted the Father's plan. Even though he knew that suffering was ahead, he trusted the Father's plan. And it ends with verse 11 saying, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So I think it's fitting right here at the end When earlier Jesus refused to put God to the test and call on his angels, you know, when he jumped off the pinnacle of the temple, when he refused to do that earlier, now at the end, God actually sends his angels to care for him. And I think it's as if to affirm God is saying, this is my beloved son. And so he sends his angels to take care of his needs. And so the devil left defeated because Jesus was victorious. He was victorious in the wilderness in all the ways that Israel failed. And I want you to see this. In the same way, Jesus was victorious in all the ways that we fail. You see, with each of these three points, we could replace the word Israel with the word us. Unlike us, Jesus trusted God's provision. Unlike us, Jesus trusted God's promises. And unlike us, Jesus trusted God's plan. And he trusted that plan all the way to the cross so that he could be our faithful and victorious Savior. Let's pray.